Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I mean, come on, no one plans to get sick. And yet, here we are. My name is Matthew Zachary. I survived cancer, a stroke, and COVID-19, and I'm still here. I also survived our broken healthcare system, and I want to help you survive it too. So let's go make healthcare suck less together, because we're all out of patience. Hello, people. Welcome back to the show. A quick reminder before we get started, if you like the show, I hope you do, and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave me a rating. I have a very frail ego, and your validation is very much appreciated. On the show today, Brock Yetzo is the president and CEO at the Allman Foundation, one of the original young adult cancer advocate groups founded in the 1990s. Remember those days, the 1990s? Corded phones, ah, miscorded phones. Anyway, the Almond Fund was one of the very first organizations that pioneered the very idea of adolescent and young adult cancer as a thing. You know, I consider Brock to be a, a progenitor and a mentor who helped me find my place and my voice long before stupid cancer was a real boy. So let's give it up for history in our DeLorean episode of how the sausage was made with the Almond Foundation and Brock Yetzel. Let's get started. I'm going to bring this up on the show just because it's funny. Like you were the lone executive of a young adult cancer organization that wasn't a cancer survivor. And yet we still like you in the club. <laughs> I survived all you, you knucklehead. That's right. You're a survivor of us. <laughs> Survivor of us. Um, well, it's too, it's too soon, but my dark humor, like now that I've had COVID, like I tell people, I'm like, oh, I'm a survivor, and they're like, oh, of what? I'm like, COVID. They're like, oh, like, oh just they, they that. Don't, it doesn't. It's just that. It's too soon. It's too soon. Like people are dying of that. You can't say that. I'm like, well, people are dying of cancer, and you know, people that survive cancer talk about that. Well, you could just say it's the you Omen could, Foundation you... for COVID. There you go. Yeah. I mean, you could do a whole show on that. Man. I mean, like, why are we, uh, we are celebrating cancer survivors, but why aren't we celebrating COVID survivors? Reminds me of the episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, where Larry David had a Holocaust survivor meet someone from CBS Survivor, and they debated the word and who was better off. Oh, my God. <laughs> who is this guy that Matt's talking to? Brock Yetzo, the president and CEO at the Omen Foundation. <laughs> Welcome to Out of Patience. Two minutes into the segment. Awesome. I'll take a late welcome any day. No, it's been a long time coming. I actually went back through the archives of the Stupid Cancer Show, and you and Doug were on the show in 2007. So we're going, no way. it's been a minute since I had you on the other end of a microphone. Well, we've, we've all, all three of us have been busy at work doing doing some important stuff, So, uh, but it's, it's good to be back. What I found most Intriguing about doing the show and being back behind a mic with out of patience is that I get to interview and talk to friends that I've had 
for like over 20 years. The listeners of today may or may not have any perspective, which is fine, of how the sausage was made in the 90s and the 2000s. And we are all here today resultant of these crazy shenanigans that happened in the late 90s and the early 2000s. Like any sausage we have, the finished product um, is way better than the uh, than the, the process in, in which it was made. So Clearly. shenanigans is a right is a good word, but uh, it was a good time, and there were a lot of great people, and uh, I think some real breakthroughs that got us to where we are today. And, and God bless us, you, me, and Doug are both all still standing, and, and fathers, and healthy, and happy. So that's a plus as well. You just wake up and say, "How the hell am I here?" I mean, yes, but the joke is like, but you didn't have cancer and yet you belong in the club, but you still wake up like we're old now. We have kids and we were like young with nothing to lose <laughs> in the 2000s. I know. Well, right. I mean, you always think back like if I knew if I knew that then and uh, through every stage of your life, you know, when you're in high school, if you knew if you knew that in, in middle school or elementary school and now as I look back, I mean, two decades plus for for me and for Ullman and, and you and Doug like um, I don't know if there's a whole lot I would have changed but um, it would have been nice to know some of the things we knew now back then and uh, you know perhaps they would have informed our work a little bit differently but it was a great cast of characters right <laughs> great cast of characters we were all falling with styles so eloquently and so perhaps inadequately that we just got things done at a time before uh-huh. the internet ruined everything or maybe made some things better right yeah, it's a rabbit hole we could definitely go down. Um, I don't know if we should, but I'll even compare it to to COVID. I mean, COVID is terrible. It's, I mean, it's it's turned our lives upside down, much so like the internet did. But in some ways, it's it's accelerated some positive things that needed to happen. And it just as COVID had. I mean, we look at what's happening in the healthcare world. I mean, telehealth. There's so many other so many silver lining stories, but uh, the internet, much like COVID, has also sort of exasperated some of the. <laughs> the negatives in in our world for sure and uh that certainly uh has happened there but yeah it's been a it's been great to follow follow your journey as well i remember we we first met right it was with doug and a a a dingy coffee shop i don't want to that's 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 no it was dingy i'm gonna gonna, i I will (laughs) concur it was quite dingy yes um right around the corner um we were staying right by columbus circle because his folks had a place then i remember meeting around there and I was like, is this guy is I know he's a survivor, but he's got he's talking about music. He's got he's got a D a CD. There were still CDs. That was CDs. I remember he gave us a CD. This is the throwback machine. But hang on, let's hop in in, in the DeLorean for real. Let's go back to the 90s when this soccer kid at Brown gets cancer. Right. We've been talking yeah. about this Doug this whole time. This is Doug Allman, yeah. of whom the foundation is named after his his family name. But who is Doug Allman? We can say, yeah, he got cancer three times, but that, we want to really dive into that because that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. So um, Doug is is our founder of, of what is now Ullman Foundation, uh, previously the Ullman Cancer Fund for Young Adults. And ironically, when we were first created by him and the family, Ullman Foundation. So we've come full circle. That's hysterical. Um, has to write all things, you know, as we've gone retro. So we're back again after 20 some years. But uh, and before I jump into his cancer story, I mean, Doug, Doug and I have known each other our whole lives. Right. You know, he and I grew up together in Columbia, Maryland, uh, a planned community by Jim Rouse. It's a great community. It's still one of the top communities in the country to, to raise children and have a family. And we cross paths, you know, on a basketball court or a soccer field. And we, we grew up together. 
kind of traveled in the same circle, um, went to the same high school. And so, you know, I knew Doug, as many of our, our friends, you know, pre-cancer. And, you know, he, Doug's just an incredible human being. Um, he's brilliant. He's an entrepreneur. He's an innovator. And, uh, you know, he went off to Brown University uh, um, to, to study and to play soccer. I, I went to a lesser known uh, off-brand Ivy League, University of Virginia, <laughs> sort of the, the, the poor man's public version of, of a want to be Ivy, but a uh, great education. And so we stayed in touch. And uh, yeah, Doug in his, his sophomore year was in, in the prime of his life. And he and I were actually training together back home, getting ready for division one preseason. And he was struggling to breathe. And I was like, man, you're so out of shape. I mean, I'm a goalkeeper. I stand still for 90 <laughs> minutes. You're, you know, you're, a, and I said, good luck, you know, good luck at your uh, sort of wannabe division one college soccer program and sure enough he, he went up to providence rhode island and during preseason had trouble breathing uh, that continued he went to student health uh at brown and uh you know he went back and forth a couple times as as you know so many young people deal with where you know the physicians or the, the medical staff weren't attuned to that young people actually could have cancer <laughs> and he was told you know you're good get back you're a healthy young guy and so he kind of dealt with that back and forth a little bit. Um, but after being persistent, was diagnosed with um, uh, chondrosarcoma. And so it's a rare cartilage-based tumor that was in between his ribs and his lung. So it was pressing on his lung. That's why he was having trouble breathing. Fortunately, caught it early, um, had surgery, um, had to sit out a season. And then as he was just getting back on his feet, was diagnosed with uh, malignant melanoma. Fun on a bun to be in your early 20s and this to happen to you. I think the... The allegory here is that you're right. Back then, and this is literally back then, old, old man Matt saying back then, in my day, the idea that people in their 20s, teens, 30s could get cancer was statistically there, but just not in the mind's eye of doctors, right? Yeah. So, I mean, Doug's diagnosis, I mean, you got you to gotta take yourself back 20 20- plus years was not normal or not readily uh, acknowledged by the medical community. And I'll say the community at large. I mean, he was a, a college student in the prime of his life and he struggled to, to even get that diagnosis, which is, uh, as you can appreciate, you know, Matt, so common uh, within the young adult community. And even to this day, we've, we've made progress. And so he had cancer three times before the age of 21. And that was unheard of back then. Uh, but people were getting it. <laughs> it just wasn't being acknowledged or really talked about. And so he struggled as a young college student to find find a home, uh, find an organization, find a community, all those things. There lies the reason that, you know, he, yourself with Stupid Cancer and so many other organizations that have, have since, you know, come on the scene and joined the movement, why he created it. For him, it was it was personal. You know, he wanted to be able to connect with other folks that understood and could relate to what he was dealing with. And then I think beyond that, it became it became more than personal. It was, you know, how do we not just help me out, but help there's thousands. And now we know I don't know what what's the what's the latest number? How, how many annually are diagnosed? I, you know, I, it went from 70 to 72 to 76. I think yeah. on the stupid cancer side, it's 80 now. But I'm going to go with population adjusted it, it, to be optimistic. Okay. I thought we were making progress, and then there's more people getting diagnosed every year. I think this is this is more people. <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's more, more people. people. There's more people getting diagnosed. Yeah. So um, yeah. So you know, he and the family, uh, and so he's so true to Doug. I mean, he's just a fighter. He's a an entrepreneur, an innovator. They wanted to do something about solving this problem. 
and I always say, you know, people that have known Doug as long as I have, and, and even yourself, and you know the, you know what he's made of and how he operates and the success he's had in the cancer space. It could have been anything. I mean, I think fortunately for for cancer patients and survivors, young adults, it, it was actually good. It was cancer because he's he's done so much great work, and the organization was born, and and we've grown above and beyond one person. Um, but it could have been another issue or ailment, and he would have, he would have tackled it um, just as you know as as you have, and so many young cancer survivors have sort of tackled the AYA issue and started organizations that have done such great and important work. I mean, it's also really important to recognize that there were really no other young adult cancer specific groups at the time. And yet in the late nineties, there was this like just coincidental outcrop of five major groups that just spawned. There was a group called First Descents, which was the yep. first young adult cancer like retreat adventure camp type experience. It was the Elman Fund uh, or yep. the Elman Foundation that became the fund that became the foundation. <laughs> there was the Young Survival Coalition, which was young women with breast cancer. Yeah. Uh, there was Sharsheret, which was young women with breast cancer who were Jewish. And, and yeah. then there was like Vital Options, which is a terrestrial radio show about cancer. And like this... Like, I don't know who watered the grass in the late 90s, but and none of you <laughs> knew each other. And it just all kind of manifested in, the, in an extraordinary way. When did you start to meet these other people? Was there a, a, a like a convalescence of, oh, my God, you're here, too? So, Doug, uh, you know, after starting the organization and he ran it for a couple of years as a college student. And then he got a grant from, uh, you know, the Echoing Green Foundation based in New York. Uh, Cheryl Dorsey still there, still runs that foundation, do incredible work investing in, in in entrepreneurs with social impact startups. So he got a two-year grant to kind of get Ullman off the ground out of, out of college. And then, um, you know, he uh, was presented with this unique opportunity to go uh, work for another organization that I always say was, was bigger, not necessarily better, <laughs> right? Uh, but an organization at the time called the Lance Armstrong Foundation. And so, so he actually, him and Lance, uh, became, became friends or acquaintances. They're both young adult survivors. They're both athletes were diagnosed at the same time. And, uh, he actually read an article about him in the Brown alumni magazine sharing Lance's story and, and Doug, it so resonated with him. You know, it didn't matter. It was Lance. It was just, it was another, and at that time it wasn't the Lance we all know. <laughs> right. Yes. It was early Lance. Yeah. It was early Lance. like before, you know, anyone even followed cycling or followed him. And Doug's like, this is another young person, a guy, an athlete dealing with this. And he actually reached out to the, the writer of that article, the reporter and said, Hey, great, great article. Like, would you mind connecting me with this guy? I'd just love to share and, and be, you know, be, be together and so him and him and Lance went back and forth and then um Doug and I went down to the Ride for the Roses in Austin, Texas in uh 2000 was our first our first venture down there. I don't know if this story is true, but they say when the legend becomes fact print the legend. I recall Doug <laughs> telling me a story or maybe I heard him speak at some conference somewhere about how I think Lance sent him a note in the hospital or something and it was like, like Doug's like, who the hell is Lance Armstrong? And then that's kind of how their friendship started. Is that, is there any reason or rhyme or truth to that? I, I think there is some truth. I, I don't know. I can't vouch for all the, the specifics, but they definitely, I think he might've reached out to him because, and I know there's an email somewhere. I still have a copy of it because it was always in our office that, you know, he said, Hey Doug, like, you know, remember we're the lucky ones, mm. right? It is cancer. It gives us perspective that no one can have. And, uh, 
Yeah. And so, you know, in 2000 was the first time that we, Doug, you know, got to meet Lance and, and learn more about his foundation, this small little foundation that he started in Austin, Texas, that was, you know, really based around survivorship and a bike ride. And, uh, you know, we all know the story well, and, and Lance kind of took cancer as well as AYA cancer, being an AYA survivor, to a different level, different stratosphere. Um, and regardless of your opinions of, of, of how he got to where he went, I can tell you as a, as a, as a nonprofit executive and a cancer advocate, you know, what he did for the, the cancer movement and specifically the AY cancer movement was transformative. And, uh, and so back to your, your question, long-winded answer, like how did, I, I think Doug, Doug's opportunity and ability to be part of, and then eventually became, you know, the president CEO of the Lance Armstrong foundation, which then became Livestrong. you know, Doug carried that that AYA torch with him and um, and had a, a, a platform that the all the AYA groups, Ullman included, Stupid Cancer, First Ascent, you know, he he invited them all to to kind of come be a part of this uh, this this opportunity to to raise our flag, to yell at the top of the mountain, uh, all the different things that we did. Uh, some I won't mention <laughs> to, well, to make yeah. some noise about things you about can't AYA. get away with anymore. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, when I would say, I mean, probably like, yeah, like mid, I mean, when did we, when did we first connect? I mean, mid early two thousands trying to remember. Well, um, yeah, I, I was terrible with dates. <laughs> if I were to like trace the, uh, extension cord back to the outlet in the wall, it would go to a guy named Craig Lustig, who, you know, Yeah. and Craig found me on a Columbia listserv after I had given a piano concert for a relay for life at NYU in 2002. And it was around that time that I first discovered another organization of the time called Planet Cancer, which I I was the first like funny cancer website (laughs) that I ever read. Like you never think funny in cancer. And I jumped down this rabbit hole through Craig and these other luminary names that we don't have to get into because there's so many of them. But it was just an extraordinary moment in time to see collaboration, uh, I mean, I walked into it as like, oh, is it always like this? No, it wasn't always like this. But I will give Livestrong credit where credit is due because the culture that they brought to bear as an organization, again, irrespective of any dirty laundry that's floating around, was one of we raise each other up. And that was my biggest, uh, I guess, excitement of joining all of you guys, not knowing what the hell I'd wind up doing. Yeah, I agree. It was came We came there from different perspectives, different pathways, but it elevated us all and we all were sort of in, in in the same sandbox together trying to do do something the same thing maybe just doing it a little bit differently it was a great moment in time back with our guest after the break The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs. 
a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So let's get into the nitty gritty of what the Allman Foundation, then the Allman Cancer Fund, then the Allman Foundation. What have yeah. you been pragmatically doing? I know the answer to this, but for the sake of the listeners, it's just so important to understand how we kind of started from nothing. All of us started from nothing. And here we are 20 years later, and young adult cancer is mainstream oncology. It's, we still have work to do because the people still get sick. But yeah. from nothing, you were the first organization that had grants and you worked on navigation. Talk about the early days of just proving the point that this was meritable. You know, I'd say the early days was just doing whatever sort of came at us, you know, like any cancer diagnosis. Uh, and, and thank God I've never personally faced it. But, you know, I, I've had loved ones. I've had family members. It was more just you're blocking and tackling and responding to every obstacle, every hurdle, every piece of news you're getting. You're, you're definitely not, you're, you're not driving the car, right? You're just sort of like in the backseat, just dodging, you know, for any parent out there, you're just dodging the things that your kids are throwing at you. And so that was a lot of what I think Ullman was doing in the early age in days where there was no cohesive like roadmap or strategy it was just like herding cats to find out, Hey, are we the only one? No, we're not. There's other people with young, young one cancer. Oh, there's other organizations. And really wherever the greatest need presented itself. And so one of our first you know, programs was a, a support group. What do you get? I mean, we want to build community. We want people not to be alone. So let's get a support group going. And the next thing was, Hey, Doug was a college student. You know, fortunately his, his ability to continue to pursue higher education was not impacted, but so many young people, get cancer, they're in their college years, and there's an impact there, an emotional, practical, financial. So we started a, a college you know, scholarship program that has grown over the past 20 years to award close to a million dollars to young adults in all 50 states attending you know, 200 plus universities. And so I'd say the first like almost the first five to eight years of our existence was really just um, not flying by the seat of our pants, but responding to like where the greatest need presented itself and what was the most compelling. And I, I think where that shifted for, I can speak for Ullman and, and perhaps hopefully the, the movement where we've had more incremental change uh, really was a result of, of some of the work of, of Livestrong and, you know, the, the progress review group report that was published in 
was it 2006? And then there were the president's cancer panel, town hall meetings. And so I know for Ullman, like we took that as, hey, here's an opportunity to to listen to what experts are saying, like not just, you know, what cancer patients and survivors, which that's important. And we took that and that was part of those processes to basically take a, a swat of, you know, all the stakeholders are saying are the greatest needs clinically, um, scientifically, you know, from an advocacy standpoint, from a, a patient care standpoint, and identify the areas that we think we can champion and have the greatest impact. And so for us, you know, the past decade plus now has been really focused on, you know, patient navigation, uh, meeting patients where they are. Um, and so we've now been working with uh, some of the top cancer centers in the country. We're, we're based in, in Baltimore, Maryland. So we have programs running at um, institutions like Johns Hopkins and University of Maryland, both, you know, comprehensive um, NCI designated cancer centers. Uh, we've been working with our military at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center where uh, we have licensed, trained AYA navigators that are embedded in the institution and have developed a community and a program within that hospital that has changed the culture of how they they treat and meet young cancer patients' needs. Um, and so that's just one example, but I, I think Ullman has really looked to the community of, you know, all the all the people that have been working in this, both in the labs, in the hospitals, and other advocates to identify Hey, where can we have the greatest need? Who's doing other great work? And I think, you know, you're you're a great example. Like, you know, when when, when stupid cancer came on the scene, I mean, we, we we said we're definitely not getting into the business of of uh, hosting massive conferences where we're bringing tons of survivors and, and healthcare professionals better because because Matthew's doing it so great. And so I think that was back to like the the good old days. Like it was awesome to see how so many individuals and organizations came together. And sometimes just by like process of elimination or, or just uh, just that, like people found like their place of where they could uh, move the needle uh, for the movement. Um, and so Ullman, you know, navigation has been sort of a flagship program of ours. We more recently have identified a huge need um, that I believe is only going to get larger with um, hospitality uh, um, care. So, so housing for young cancer patients. You're seeing treatment protocols for um, for young adults. Many of them are pediatric protocols. They're now being extended to 18, 20, 25 year olds that are more aggressive and more demanding, and, and are presenting challenges for young cancer patients to to get their treatment because there's no housing. And a lot of the existing infrastructure of hospitality homes cut off at 18 and 21. So that's what we just opened Ullman House, which is a, a beautiful you know 13,000 square foot facility and and. Baltimore City, just a stone's throw from many of the cancer centers I just mentioned, where young people can come from all over the country. They've come from 13 different states already to, to be a part of community and have free housing and, and care and support while they're getting life-saving treatment. I want to pivot and spend the remaining amount of our time talking about leadership. Yeah. And you know, without dating you, per se, you're one of the longest standing executives in nonprofit cancer to begin with, but in young adult cancer specifically. And you have, I mean, I, I kind of left when I did because I wanted to, you know, whatever, but like you're still doing this with so much passion. And again, there is a never ending need to fulfill the issues at, at hand. But over the course of the last 20 plus years that you've been running this organization, have there ever been moments in time where you said, like mission accomplished or like 
um, we've done enough. Or I mean, I, the only reason I asked that question, I'm not convincing you to leave in any way, is or, or, or just agree or disagree with me on this one point. I feel like when we started all this in the early 2000s, when I got into the game and I, we, we were all, you know, running offense with each other uh, mm-hmm. instead of fighting over get off my lawn, which is every other organization, that we were pushing a boulder up a hill in the hopes of building equity and parity for an age-specific concern. And at some point, that boulder reached the top of the hill and is now kind of coasting in a sense. And I was joking that young adult cancer now sucks as equally as other cancers, irrespective of the unique age issues that you face. You get a sense that we're in a better place now. The boulder isn't maybe so far down the hill or it's up the hill and there's a just a smaller hill to push it up. Absolutely. I mean, I think having been a part of the movement for two decades, like I, you know, and I, we always used to say, Hey, you know, no one knows about a cancer and, and until we're on the front cover of a, of a national publication. And, and me, I've never done that, but I mean, I, I know people that have been on time magazine. So, you know, we, we certainly, uh, Oh, you, we, uh, <laughs> we, we were there, the ball we've, we've been made. Um, but yeah, I think, we've made such, such progress. And so we're, I, I don't think we're on the same level playing field as, as some, uh, some other cancers and populations with cancer. I mean, yeah, I think we still have some thing catching up to do to, to some of the other movements. I mean, breast cancer, they've done incredible job of, of both raising awareness and in, in, improving uh, protocols and care, um, decreasing mortality. So I think there's still work to be done. Um, but I think what mode, I mean, I think where your question was, is like, at what point do, do you, or do I, do I like, you know, say, Hey, like job well done. It's, it's my turn and I can move on to something else. What I can tell you is I would feel if, if my time came to, to move, move out of a way cancer, move out of Ullman or move on to something else, I would feel really good, much better today than I did, you know, uh, a decade ago, I think we've made a lot of progress, and we're we're the movement. The the AWA cancer patient is in a much better place than they were. I mean, there's I mean between Ullman, TCA, some other. I mean, there's there's there's. I mean, we're talking 40, 50 cancer centers that have AWA programs of some way, shape, or form. That there were none 20 years ago. Um, so I feel much better. But with all that said, like. Cancer still sucks. Yes, like it's, it does. It's gonna it's it's gonna kill uh, you know more Americans than uh, I think it's what second the second leading or maybe third leading disease killer um, in our country. And so there's still a lot of hurt and a lot of pain that's caused by this disease. And uh, and you know I think what what has kept me engaged at Ullman, um, and I'm really proud of the the kind of work we do is we're I always you know we're we're like one degree or not even a degree away from the patient. You know, we have navigators in the hospital. Now we have these patients staying in our, in our home. And so it, it's every day I wake up with a constant reminder of, of how devastating and, and crappy cancer can be to anyone. And, uh, and so it's, it's, for me, it's just continues to serve as motivation. And there's always something new that's coming up that uh, we as an organization or as a movement can can try to tackle. So not to, not to say that uh, my time won't come or um, I've already aged out. I'm out of the age group. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
like when I, I turned 40, I'm like, crap, do I still belong here? Exactly. I know. I'm, I'm one of a few people, you know, that uh, um, has, has a bunch of kids. Um, but it's been, it's been a great ride. And, not, you know, I'm, again, I'm still enjoying doing it. Uh, and so until, until I'm ready or I'm asked to leave, I'm going to, I'm going to keep plugging away and trying to, you know, do as much as I can to, to keep moving the needle. As we always used to say, move the needle for AOA cancer. All right. Final question. It's kind of yeah. loaded, but I think you can keep it pretty brief. Uh, cause I've done many episodes with other nonprofit leaders and I, I like to hear from executives and like COVID life hacks for leaders in the nonprofit space? How do you manage your own mental health, your family, while still leading and keeping confidence amongst your tribe? Ooh, wow. You could have given me a heads up on this one. You have 30 <laughs> seconds. Go. <laughs> wow. E uh, exercise. Uh, I, I think what COVID, I mean, we're doing remote work, so it's afforded me the opportunity and now is exercise every single day. And it's something I, I would have liked to say I did before COVID, but I just, the, the commute and the bustle and the hustle just didn't allow me to do that. Um, and then uh, for me, it's leaning, leaning into the things that uh, ground me and matter most. And that's my, my kids, my wife, my family, um, my time. Uh, you know, right now I'm, I'm at a soccer practice recording this from the car. Uh, and, uh, 18 months ago, I would have been at a networking event um, with a cocktail in my hand trying to pass business cards out. Right. So I'm leaning to, into those those moments that, um, for me, I think make me a human being and 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 and, and indirectly, I think a better better leader and uh, of our organization. What is the Almond Foundation's website? I'm sure the URL changed since the name changed for the 14th time. It is. Uh, www that's still there you can stay www <laughs> all you want i don't think you need that but i'm gonna i'm gonna allow it it's uh Ullman foundation and uh u-l-m-a-n so just foundation.org and there you have it brock yetzo president and ceo of the Ullman foundation at almondfoundation.org thank you my old esteemed friend that i'm older than so there's that too <laughs> thank you but i got one kid on you you do <laughs> Godspeed, my friend. More to come. Thank you. Appreciate the time. That's all for today, folks. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Brianna Seely, Jen Orange, and Andrew McDowell. It is mixed and edited by Brianna Seely. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com.